Welcome to the secret life of cookies, where we try to solve the world's problems through the miracle of carbohydrates, one recipe at a time, with host Marissa Rothkoff and her dog, Bosco. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. Today's podcast features not one, but two of my fellow Deep State Radio humans, Chris Cotnoir and Grant Haver, a.k.a. E. Grant Haver. We discuss not only their new podcasts, but fitness over age 50 and a new resource for foreign policy news, plus why podcasting isn't going away anytime soon. And I make a delicious, I mean it, healthy breakfast cookie to fuel your workouts or dog walks or to give you the energy you need to not throw something at your TV while you watch Marjorie Taylor Greenbean tell you how she just doesn't recall. Hello and welcome to The Secret Life of Cookies. And today, well, it's a sort of special day. One, it's almost a temperate feeling outside, not freezing cold here in beautiful New Jersey. And one of my guests is actually positioned in New Jersey and the other is down in Virginia. And they're two very special guests personally to me because they are fellow deep state radio, couldn't say employees, but behind the scenes workers. But they've both come out with their some new podcasts here on deep state radio, and they're here to talk about them and come out from behind the curtain, as it were, like the wizards that they are. We have Mr. E. Grant Haver, and we have Mr. Chris Cutmore. Sirs, like to introduce yourselves and just give us a little sense of to the people out there who've been listening to deep state radio stuff for a million years, what y'all do before we get to the really cool stuff, which is the new podcasts you've started. Hi, Marissa. It's really <laughs> nice to be here on The Secret Life of Cookies. I've only been behind the scenes with the show, so happy to be part of your show. Hopefully, we'll, we'll talk about my mad cooking skills. <laughs> But yeah, I've been working with David, who also happens to be your brother for 10 years now. I can't believe it's been that long. It's been an interesting journey. We started working together at Foreign Policy. I joined Foreign Policy in 2012 from the Financial Times, where I spent 13 years there in various positions. And I left Foreign Policy to join David who had started his own podcast, which we actually launched while we were at Foreign Policy. But I joined I still have him. the mugs. I still have the mugs yeah, from Foreign that's Policy. Right. That's right. That's right. And it's the, you know, essentially the same crew from Foreign Policy, you know, and we continue to to produce that show. But I joined him three years ago now and kind of continued our crusade to provide expertise and analysis on the foreign policy and national security stories that matter. At some point, I think I'd like to get into like David's best and worst traits. Should we do that? Because this is like, who's going to, you know, he won't listen, will he? Well, no, it's no, just, just the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just the three of us. <laughs> and Grant, as I let my dog out the back door to romp about and chase squirrels without success, tell me what, <laughs> tell me what, your goal is and your job and why my TV keeps turning on all by itself. Well, the TV is turning on all by itself because there's a ghost in your house, Marissa. And <laughs> I, I'm sorry for telling you this in this way. Uh, oh my God. I'm Grant Haver. I do 
podcast production and editing and booking for almost every podcast on the Deep State Radio Network. I also write pieces semi-regularly for the website. Before DSR, I did foreign policy and national security stuff at some think tanks downtown in D.C., and I also worked for Kamala Harris's presidential campaign when that was a thing. Always happy to be on The Secret Life of Cookies, even though I'm often just the first listener. <laughs> yeah, you got you get all the behind the scenes. I will say that you talk about like, oh, I produce podcasts and I book the people and I'm repainting my neighbor's house. And I'm also like a foreign policy expert. And that feels to me like what all of our lives have become. You know, I think I was bemoaning sort of outcast state, to quote Mr. Shakespeare, um, thinking, look at the grand age I'm at. I think when I was younger, I would have thought, well, I shall have a grand corner office and I shall have somebody who helps me with this and that and the other thing. And it turns out that's not the way life is right now. No, I mean, it's definitely very different from my parents' generation that was start in one job, stay in one job for your whole life. Like that's just not how it works anymore, especially if you're kind of in the field that we work in, you know, media and journalism, everyone kind of has nine different hustles. You're writing for somewhere, you're (laughs) podcasting, you're, you have like a TikTok, like you're trying to find different ways to reach new audience because the big three television channels just don't mean what they used to anymore. Right. Right. Exactly. Although MSNBC, if you're listening, I'm more than happy to come on. Chris, CNN find Plus, that? we're yes. here. <laughs> Grant, I have some bad news. If they give, they, they, you think you got a contract with them? That was a bit of a quick come and go. So yeah, I, I think we all live in this very different world now, where we have all these different hustles. And a fantastic part about it is, it means like, oh you can be doing one thing that helps people. And at the same time, you're also going to be doing a podcast. Both of you guys have sort of branched out in the past month and a half or so with a podcast on the two of you are doing that's gone from being the Ukraine daily brief to the deep state radio daily brief, not the daily beef, even though that's what I like to call it because I'm obsessed with food. And you also, Mr. Chris Cottonoir has been do has come out with a Substack. One of the other sorts of things that everybody is has to do, we have to have a Substack and TikTok, but your Substack, Hitting 50, is fantastic. And I am not a maniacal exercise fiend like you are, um, but I am an avid exerciser. And for me, that is, it's a great Substack. I love reading it. I highly recommend it to others because you sort of, you tell me what you do while I start to make a treat that's for you, because this is the daily life, this the secret life of cookies and the Ukraine daily brief and some beef all in one. And I'm making um, what I would term a healthy cookie for workout folks. So like you can pop one of these in your mouth and then like take a jog and know that you've got some serious nutrition going on here. I'm just going to give you a sense of the ingredients because I'm going to be mixing them while I'm talking to you. And it is a load of oats, applesauce, because I ran out of smushy bananas, but you can use smushy bananas. And if you don't have them, you can go to your grocer and say, hey, can I have some smushy bananas? It's got peanut butter, or you can use almond butter, cinnamon, 
a mixture of nuts and raisiny dried things. I've put extra flax seed in it because you're not getting any younger, Chris. And it's good for your heart. Some cocoa for its antioxidant properties. Cinnamon, also an anti-inflammatory, but that's such rubbish. I mean, how much are we using? Some nutmeg, vanilla, and some orange zest. Yeah, and chocolate chip. But they're dark chocolate chips, so they're really good for you. You've got to make this palatable, people. And uh, now I'm going to let my dog in, but tell me about the Hidden 50. I'll just quickly start with your your sort of original question around, you know, work. I think with what we do and, you know, the small size of our company, you know, there's there there are no set working hours. We produce podcasts and tape podcasts when our guests are available. We have listeners from all around the world, so if they have feedback or they have questions about their memberships, we're answering emails at all hours. Grant and I both wake up somewhere around 4.30 or 5 a.m. You do? (laughs) We do. Which, by the way, I've completely changed my sleep routine because of this podcast. But yeah, we get up early, we prepare and write and figure out what we're going to cover in the podcast. And then we tape it so that it's out the door roughly by 8 a.m., every single day. I've been working, as I mentioned with David for, for 10 years and doing what we've been doing here at the DSR network for a little over three years. And, you know, it's a lot. We're covering not just foreign policy stories, but we're covering domestic politics. It's a constant barrage, especially during the the Trump years and the pandemic at the same time and the pandemic and it it you know it's a constant barrage of news so i was contemplating for quite some time just doing some writing for fun you know i have interests outside of politics and foreign policy is that allowed your brother has has interests <laughs> as well Tom Brady being big one of yeah, those. Yeah, big interest. He follows Tom wherever he goes. Yeah, I tried uh, but to dissuade him from that, but whatever. It's not easy to do. He he became a Tampa fan. But yeah, I wanted to write about things that I was passionate about that also other people could benefit from. I contemplated I'm a big tech nerd. I'm into smart home technology. So I contemplated writing about that, but yeah, you know, most people don't want to hear about that nonsense. So the Hidden 50 substack that I write focuses on fitness for people ages 50 and over. I am in that category. Kind of newly in that category, I might add, but okay. <laughs> you know, almost two years into it now. <laughs> but um, you know, the information and what I write about are based mainly on my own experiences. And they're, you know, just because it's focused on people 50 and over doesn't mean that people under 50 can't benefit from the kinds of things that I'm writing about. And I'll write about, you know, everything from how you should plan your workouts in terms of, you know, I spend, I spend every single morning scheduling my day. That includes when am I going to fit a workout in? What's going on? Personally, I have two children. They have to eat and get to school and get to their activities and do all the things. 
In the um, olden days, kids were much more self-sufficient. We didn't have to they do were. as they much. They just went outside. Exactly. Just got some stuff done, maybe throw some mac and cheese at them at the end of the day, and they were glad for it. Or a hungry man dinner. Teach them how to peel man. off. <laughs> Teach them a hungry man off. dinner with the dessert. TV yeah. dinners. Right. All if they have to we, do is like peel off the middle part and they're good. That's what I say. And isn't right? it weird how I, I viewed that as a kid as such a treat? We're having hungry man dinner for, for dinner tonight, <laughs> or we're going to McDonald's. Like that, <laughs> right. that was a big treat in, in my family. But yeah, so, so I started writing this about six, eight weeks ago. I produce two posts every week that come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And my hope is that I'll eventually turn it into a, turn it into a podcast, but as time right now is at a premium, I'm not quite able to, to do that. So uh, Chris, does your uh, Substack have advice if your boss is just super demanding of you and you work really long <laughs> you, hours, like how right, you really you have- fit that in? Yeah. And how do you find the time if you're like boss really is and causing stress in your life? So I, 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 I would say, first of all, that uh, Grant here is, is my colleague and we're partners in crime. <laughs> if he'd like to choose to call me his boss, so be it. But what I will say is this, the pandemic has changed a lot from work and how work is viewed, remote work. There's plenty of companies out there that have embraced it. There's plenty of companies out there that have not. But one of the things that I try to get across when I'm writing is that you don't need tons of time. Like We're not talking about heading to the gym for an hour, which you drive to you know, you get ready for, you, you come home. It's, you know, by the time it's all said and done, it's like 90 minutes to two hour yeah. commitment versus if you have 10 minutes, you can get a great workout in and wherever you have to fit that in during your day. And that's why I spend the time in the morning to look at my schedule, look at what's going on. And, you know, if I have 20 minutes in the morning and 30 minutes at night, I'll split the workouts up. So the time is not an excuse to get moving. It isn't, but if you have a serious case of ADHD, which it sounds like you do not since you plan your day. So it sounds like I would like you to plan my day as well as my workout. It sounds to me like you really do have to plan it though. And I don't know how one with um, what one would say a little bit of a bouncy mind, (laughs) ADHD, you can get easily distracted. So I would like your tips on how to not be so damn distracted. I'd also really like you to do, if you're going to do a podcast, I want you to tell me what to do. Like, I want to tune into your podcast and not just get advice, but I want to be like, okay, now we're going to do a 15 minute set and here's some music to do it by. And you could just bark at me. You could be like the Jane Fonda, except a guy and um, probably not going to wear a le- funny leotard. What do you think of that idea? Jane Fonda, who's famous for, you know, no pain, no gain. I bet you didn't know that. <laughs> I think at some point, you know, that, you know, working through, uh, you know, different types of workouts would be something I'd like to do. I think with, with a podcast, I don't want to do it by myself. I'd prefer to do interviews with people who know what they're talking about beyond my experience, my research. You know, I have a lot of knowledge in all of those areas, but I'm not a doctor. 
not a nutritionist. I'm not a certified personal trainer. So getting (laughs) the perspectives of professionals, I think would be something that I'd aim for. And that just takes planning. And that is something, you know, at this point in time, I don't have a lot of extra time for, but And again, with two kids and their activities and the weekends and all that goes with that. Planning is the only way to go. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I tout planning, scheduling, figuring things out. So it's something that I'll fit in eventually. It's just not in the cards right now. Marissa, that brings up a really interesting question that I think about when I'm watching uh, your show every week is how do you think about the nutrition side of the food you bake. I feel like my joy from cooking comes mostly from eating. Um, <laughs> and so like, I always end up baking these like monstrosity, like cookies that have way too much chocolate or <laughs> cakes that are so rich that like they could buy a house in DC, like that, <laughs> like that type of thing. Like, how do you think about that? Cause I'm sure you're cooking all the time, but and I'm sure you can't eat all that food, you know? One, I have some very, very nice neighbors who are very, and I I bought a lot of plastic boxes, you know, Tupperware boxes and eat a lot of Chinese food and save the takeaway boxes and serve a lot to my neighbors. One, two, I do actually think about the nutrition in the things that I bake. I tend not to bake with white flour, even though some of my recipes are often have white flour. I will usually substitute whole wheat flour for things, spelt flour. I often am making things with almond flour. uh, Did I say oat flour? Yeah, almond flour, oat flour, just to like boost the nutrition. So if you are eating a cookie, and I found like, I think a cookie made with whole wheat flour versus white flour is actually better because it's less cloyingly sweet. I tend to use dark chocolate. I tend not to make things with milk chocolate because I mean, as nice as it is, it tends to make things too sweet. The other week I had Harry Littman on we made souffles and he's like, white sugar is evil. What if I may use coconut sugar? And he used coconut sugar and it was just fine. So coconut sugar, is coconut sugar better than white sugar? Um, I used to write about nutrition a long time ago when I was at Condé Net. So I have some sense of where to go and what to look for as a journalist. How do you kind of weigh those things when you're doing this for fun? I want something ah. sweet for fun. Like I don't, I don't want to, I don't want something healthy for fun. I want to like enjoy what I'm cooking or or what I'm baking. Like but how I, do you... I think I think the best way to do it is to do some minor substitutions, and you will notice little to no difference. If you make yourself like I have a recipe for brownies that takes about a five minutes maybe, and it's made with almond flour, which adds protein and a whole like level a whole bunch of different nutritional greats in almonds, right? And it's that and it's dark chocolate and sure, does it have eggs and butter in it? It sure does. But that's why you take statin. But it's a shed load better for you than eating, you know, boxed brownie mix. And also, I think if you're balancing protein and sugar in the same mouthful, it's better for your body to digest it. It's still sugar, though. So your pancreas is still going, (laughs) but, you know, give it a break. I promise you, you won't know the difference. Just buy yourself some whole wheat flour, not white whole wheat, white whole wheat flour. Everyone talks about it being so much nicer because it's white, whatever. But white whole wheat flour is um, tends to be bitter. So just buy regular old whole wheat flour. Buy yourself some spelt flour. 
So a fact that you don't know about me, even though we chat every week, is that <laughs> I used to uh, brew beer professionally um, or semi-professionally at a brewery in D.C. And so I've had quite a number of of Yeast sort of infections. Oh no, sorry. Go on. Uh, <laughs> uh, like uh, split grain, uh, split grain oatmeal or mash. You know, the yeast infections are a separate thing that me and the my doctor will continue to talk about and work on. Yeah. I think we shocked Chris. I think my goal for the today's podcast is just to get Chris to sort of turn purple. Anyway, no, um, I'm not shocked. Not easily yeah, but... shocked. <laughs> that so when did where did you brew beer? It was a mistake that this brewery made that they let a 21-year-old brew beer professionally at their brewery, which is why they're no longer in business. But yeah, I learned how to brew beer and it was really cool and super interesting. And it's a lot. It's mostly cleaning. I don't know if that that is the same for baking. I'm sure it is if you did it at like kind of industrial scale. But that's like the not fun part that they never tell you about. Like it's 99% cleaning and like 5% doing something cool and interesting. Yeah. Let me just take you on a little shot of the counter that you can't see. For the folks at home, there are lots of dirty dishes on my counter. Speaking of needing a drink, you guys have started the Ukraine Daily Brief, which started off as what? And now it has transformed itself into my way to get the news when I'm just when I take the dog out for a walk around eight o'clock. What was the thinking behind it and, and why should I listen to it? Okay, I do listen to it, but. We started the show right after Russia went into Ukraine and their war of choice. That's been really obviously horrific to, to watch, but we felt like there needed to be a place for people to get kind of quick, easy news. So we always try to keep it under 10 minutes. We scour the world for different news sources to come together and Chris and I sort of read the headlines, provide some light analysis and try to get you out the door. I'm an auditory learner, which is why I ended up in podcasting. Uh, and so <laughs> there, there is a ton of great written work out there and we rely heavily on the Times, the Kiev Independent, Deutsche Welle, the Guardian, the AP Reuters. But for me, it's a lot easier if I can walk the dog and listen to a 10-minute podcast. And so we thought this was a great idea until we realized it mean, meant we had to wake up at 5 a.m. to do it every day. <laughs> but we just, uh, this morning, had our 40th episode. We converted this week to a, a broader format because as the sort of stories were evolving in Ukraine, there was sort of more going on in the world that needed uh, attention. So China has had a zero COVID policy, which seems to have worked pretty well if you don't care about the human rights of the people in China. But it's caused a lot of suffering in Shanghai recently with a major COVID spike there. You know, Sri Lanka, there have been major protests. There's a French election coming up. So there's just a lot to cover in the universe. So that's why we went to kind of a, a broader format in the last week. And we're constantly working on it. It's something where we're learning as we go too. I just would add to what Grant's said that, you know, we're ultimately a media company that's focused on foreign policy. And, you know, we felt like we had to be on top of what was going on in Ukraine to make sure we're continuing with sort of our credible approach to the stories and analysis that we're bringing in our 
regular deep state radio podcast. Gathering up the foreign policy news and the national security news in a day and getting it out and like making it succinct is a challenge. How do you do it? How do you decide what is what we should all be listening to or know about? Chris and I decided as we were reimagining the show that we wanted to make it really comprehensive of different regions. Because personally, as someone who cares about foreign policy issues, there is so much stuff out there about the US and Europe. And now China has obviously become a big news story, but you rarely get anything about Central and South America. You rarely hear anything about what's going on in Africa. The Middle East, you only hear about when something is blowing up. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things we wanted to do. So similar to the Ukraine Daily Brief, we're out there scouring different news sites, local newspapers of record in India, in Japan, in uh, the Middle East and uh, South America to just find the most important stories while remembering that our audience is American functionally. Even though we have listeners in Canada and the UK and Australia, it needs to be reasonably relevant to our listeners on a, on a regular basis. So we're trying to weigh all those things. And so that, that's the 5 a.m. get up as we're scouring and making sure we're not missing anything and that we've covered comprehensively the different areas of the world. But we also try to make it fun. So every day we have a fun news story at the end that's a little lighter because with the Ukraine Daily Brief, it, it was just so tough every day with how difficult the situation is over there that we wanted to kind of give people some hope and some levity as we enlarge the scope of what we were trying to do. And I did appreciate the shout out to a Virginia Tech a scientist, since my daughter's currently at Virginia Tech, who named a caterpillar, I think, after a or a centipede after Taylor Swift. Millipede, um, if we're Oh, sorry. Sorry, folks. Being, I didn't I didn't know, mean to underestimate, here. didn't mean to underestimate or cause offense to millipede when I called it a centipede. I'm so sorry. Please don't write me angry letters. One of the things I think that um, you know, like I know that my brother David is sort of I'm proud of my brother David because he's been a champion for chicks and foreign policy. No, women in foreign policy, <laughs> women in foreign policy, and women in national security positions, women in, in foreign policy positions. Which you know, it's been a you know he's tried to focus on them and bring light to the work that they do because they're such an important part of what's going on, and for a long time have been unsung, and. Grant, you have a, also a, a focus on young, what, we, what someone of my age would like to call young folks. No, people um, under the age of 40, maybe even under the age of 35, who are really going to become the next generation of foreign policy experts. Yeah, absolutely. So another show on the Deep State Radio Network that we do is called Next in Foreign Policy. I started it in August with my friend Zoe Weinberg, who is excellent in a million different ways. But it recently came on the network, which we were very excited about. Basically, if you look on TV, what you often see in foreign policy and politics conversations generally are a lot of people with gray hair and resumes that are 20, 30 pages long. I am fairly convinced that having a long resume doesn't necessarily make you write about foreign policy and politics issues. 
And secondarily, the news puts a lot of respect towards folks with a lot of experience, which is great, but we often miss the voices of the people who are actually day-to-day doing the work. So in Congress, you'll see a lot of people Mm. in their 80s, but all their staff (laughs) are under 35. All their staff are young, hungry, you know, just trying to get by day to day on Capitol Hill, living in a house with like 10 other people because the rent is so high. Let me, I want to jump in with that thought because we have far too many like 80 year olds in Congress, as far as I'm concerned, a little bit of that is great. A whole bunch of that is really skewing things and it is skewing things. So how are these 35 year olds and under these 25, let's call them 25 year olds, because that's what they are, who are working with the Chuck Grassleys and the Diane Feinsteins of this world, it doesn't seem to me that they're making their thoughts heard, are they? Or are they having to skew it for who they, I mean, so they're having to skew it for whom they're working for. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a balancing act. A lot of the times those people don't go on TV, but as you know, they're like a lot of people who, who work for the people you see <laughs> on TV, right? That are behind the scenes. The way that the younger folks make their impact are in their sort of hardworkingness so like if you go out on a campaign, everyone who works on a campaign is under 40. So they're out there day to day doing the communications, tilting things slowly. But the other thing is they do things in private that we just don't see. So a great example is I was having uh, drinks with a friend of mine and we were talking about working on Capitol Hill. And she told me a story about one of, one of the staffers of a senior Democrat in office And they're writing a piece of legislation because that's what the staff and Congress do. The congressmen don't write the legislation. The staff write the legislation. What? Uh, (laughs) And so this the staff person was working with the congressman on the legislation. And it was around supporting people who are having babies. So making sure they can get all the maternity care that they need. And the young person said, we should change this from women to birthing person. and. That's obviously been like a a big news story, right? That who is calling these people birthing people? Because what it's meant to do is be inclusive of trans men who identify as male, but can still carry babies. And why that's important is because that means federal funds can go to these men who are having babies and need support. And that's not something the 80-year-old congressman would be thinking about. But it is something someone my age might be more thoughtful about. And mm-hmm. so there are ways, big and small, that young people are, are driving things forward. Young people also tend to be more liberal in all the ways, including on the Republican side. And so there's, there's a lot of ways that the young people have taken that, that work to the left as well. But for me, it often is important to highlight these people that you're not going to hear about until 10 years from now when they are running something. Ah, this person is now the assistant secretary of state. I've never (laughs) heard of them before. And now they have this crazy high job. And I think it's just really important that we take the time to acknowledge their, their expertise early, but also as you age in kind of the government system, you put your blinders on to only like what's possible, what can work, what has worked. And young people don't think about things in those terms yet. I want to have a big conversation about like, should we really be able to get rid of all of our nukes? Or should we do something crazy with aid? 
should we colonize the moon? Like, those are things that like we can talk about. But if you're 50, 60, and you've worked at a, at a desk at USAID, you know that some stuff just can't work. But we want to dream big and, and take big swings. And that's sort of why we created Next in Foreign Policy. And we're happy to be a part of a network with such mature and seasoned veterans of podcasting like Marissa Rothkoff and Chris Cottenmore. Yeah, no, welcome. <laughs> I think that it's important for us all to hear that not only, and like even the old folks should be listening to what the young folks have to say. And I don't mean to sound like the old bitty that I do, but I think one of the, our problems is we lose sight in the kind of hope and energy and also despair that the folks coming up behind us have. And that's what the sense I get from when I talk to like my high school student son, right? Was very like, what have you left us? Oh my God, we need to refigure everything. And I have those moments too. So to have a fresh perspective on it is important. Just before we wrap up, I wanted just to talk about the whole concept of podcasting in general, which it's like, it's like, you know, in the olden days, you would talk to like an actor and you'd be like, what do you want to do next? And they'd be like, oh, I want to direct. Now it's, and you know, and then there was that point where it's like, oh, I'm starting a blog. No, I'm starting a blog. And now it's like, hey, I'm starting a podcast. Do you have a, a sense of whether, how long podcasting is going to hang out there? To me, it's kind of funny that everyone's like, oh my God, the radio, because everyone talks like that. Um, oh my God, the radio is like so old fashioned. I love podcasts and the same thing, or at least very similar. Podcasting has been around since the introduction of the iPod, which is uh, 20 plus years. One of the things that changed for our, from uh, to kind of bring podcasting onto or into the mainstream was serial and the storytelling aspect. Just to of, interject here, people mean he means serial with an S. It has nothing correct. to do with what you do in the morning. No, that's that's correct. And that NPR release of serial, and you know what that what that did for podcasting was essentially provide what Netflix provides for movies, which was compelling stories, binge-worthy stories. So, you know, they'll release an episode a week and you have to wait for the next week to... Now, Netflix, of course, will drop entire seasons. There are different models, but in any case, it was a... It provided, you know, this sort of movement for podcasts to you know enter the mainstream and now like you said i mean there are over 800,000 podcasts probably more and you know it's easy anybody can launch a podcast and you know the production value obviously you know varies from from show to show but the barriers to entry are minimal and, you know, to your point earlier about listening and hearing the voices of, of young people, you know, provides those opportunities. It's on-demand listening. It's something people can do while they're working out, while they're driving, while they're cooking, while they're, you know, 
doing whatever that it is that that they do. And so I don't see podcasts going away. Now, what I will say is podcasts are sort of in sort this transition period, right? So we had, and then I worked at the FT. So one of the things that we did was we launched FT.com in 2001 and it was launched as a pay site from day yeah. one. It's changed and the models have changed. You know, we introduced the metered model later, but but effectively said, listen, content is valuable. And my view is it doesn't matter what the medium is. If you're producing content that people are willing to listen to, there's a cost to producing that content. So I see a shift over the next several years to something akin to what we see with paywalls on websites where people you know, to listen to content, we'll have to pay for it. Now, that, that might not necessarily happen overnight, but it's definitely going to happen. And it's a trend that a lot of shows, you know, and even Apple and other platforms, Apple now allows people to sell subscriptions to podcasts. So mm -hmm. I, I see it as a, you know, as something that's more enduring than sort of a flash in the pan. There's something really interesting about the way media has changed to a creator consumer model where a lot of people now are creating their own content, whether it's TikTok or YouTube or podcast or even Substack. just yeah, Substack or even just being really good on Twitter. A lot of people are just constantly producing. And I think we thought that this was a moment where we were ungating. There are no more gatekeepers. ABC can't hold me back. I'm going to do my own thing. Right. Like I don't need to wait for the Washington Post byline to like write or say or think. I don't need CNN plus. I'm yeah, but <laughs> but we uh, I think we traded one one villain for another villain, right? Because now we have we're sort of tied to the algorithm in certain ways. Totally and we're agree. tied to totally the agree. to the the ability to search. One issue with podcasting is it's really hard to discover new shows. And that has caused the industry to evolve in unique ways, some for good and some for bad. And I think it's, it'll be interesting to see how the platforms continue to evolve over time, deal with something that's a real problem. You see it on YouTube, but it's also in podcast disinformation, because when you have anyone able to create, they can create lots of, of wrong stuff or fake stuff. And sometimes it's not intentional, but how do you manage that as a platform if you're you know, YouTube and you're getting billions of minutes a day of new content, mm -hmm. how do you manage that? And then how do you make it findable? So if you're an upstart podcast about baking and thinking big thoughts and finding, <laughs> you know, finding the truth, how do you get people to find that? And I think that's a challenge that we're continuing to work on. And that's why we came together as the DSR network to be able to promote uh, each other's shows and really build each other up because of how important the work is right now in politics to make foreign policy, national security, domestic policy, politics more rational, more caring, more kind, but mostly just more thoughtful. And I think that's what that the DSR network we do. Absolutely. I, I think, and on that note, I, I couldn't end it on a better note because that's exactly what we try to do, especially you guys with your daily kind of foreign policy and um, security. Update. So I appreciate what you guys are doing and what you guys have started. And I appreciate how hard it is <laughs> too. So everybody tune in to us and help support us. This has been 
<laughs> I feel like I'm on PBS. Um, thanks. If you call in now, Chris Cottonoir will give you a per for five thousand dollars. Chris Cottonoir will give you a personalized workout scheme. And uh, so call now. Operators are standing by, and a free warm um, health cookie with each instead of tote bag for just giving out cookie. Uh, anyway, these cookies, by the way, are really good and not very sweet and um, kind of gooey and um, really kind of Moorish, if you like a peanut butter cookie. Where, if I wanted to get the recipes for all of the great food that you cook on this podcast, where would I well, go, gosh. Marissa? Well, gosh, Grant, that's certainly kind of you to ask. You could go to my Substack, marissarodkopf.substack.com. Which I'll add is also an excellent Substack. I follow it myself. I look forward to and and the videos now that you produce really add to uh, to the posts. That's what people are paying the big bucks for. My yeah. videos and seeing my cat basically sit in the bowls that I'm making food in. Just kidding. We're not on a hygienic. Guys, I appreciate what you're doing and um, thanks for coming on. And I owe you all, as I do every week, a lot of cookies. Thank you all for tuning in. You can find all these great podcasts at deepstateradio.com and the recipe for healthy cookies at marissarodkopf.substack.com. Please wear a mask, wash your hands, and bake something nice. See you next week. <laughs>